when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's god entitle them we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness good evening and welcome to the show where liberty dwells this is your host packet patriots before we begin i would like to issue a few warnings one this podcast is extremely patriotic and constitutionally based two this may have explicit content and it should be forewarned that listeners who consider themselves snowflakes or liberals may be offended if you're listening at this point welcome to the show and we're fixing to get going Good evening, guys. This is Packin' Patriots here for the third installment of this podcast series. As promised last week, the coronavirus will not be discussed. With me, I have a guest tonight. He's a gentleman who wishes his name to be anonymous, but has agreed to come on and give a uh, more mature perspective on certain policies and politics that are in front of us right now. Uh, we will have him on the air in just a minute, but right now i like to start off with saying that uh, thank you for the support. Make sure you're following the Instagram page at Packin' Patriots, and here we go. Hey guys, so start off with the interview. Uh, as I just said, we have a guest, and today we're just going to be talking about historical America and how it's translating into modern-day America versus the similarities, the differences, whether it's been a uh, legal transition or not, uh, whether according to the Constitution. Uh, so real quick, uh, would you like to say anything to our audience other than hi? Alright, so to get started, uh, what is your opinion on the Second Amendment and the policies that specifically Reagan created back in the 80s that some would argue to limit the Second Amendment? Well, I would classify myself as an originalist. A lot of people think that the Constitution and the founding documents are living and breathing, therefore changing over time as society changes, and I, I disagree with that thought. I think that the founders were very uh, thoughtful and diligent and purposeful in what they wrote, and we have to look at their original intent in these documents and not try to substitute them with what we as a people may feel in today's times. So as far as the Second Amendment goes, I believe that all citizens have the right to bear arms there by meaning not only the arms, but the ammunition as well. So limiting that, I think is a gross mischaracter of uh, of justice. It's a flagrant slap in the face of the Constitution. So, you know, under the Reagan administration, I disagreed with their, I should say, with that administration limiting and outlawing automatic weapons, ordnance, and uh, and so forth. Well, that's a really good answer. Let me ask you real quick. There's a lot of people that today make a very compelling argument, compelling case for, with the legality of the Second Amendment. 
Uh, one of the arguments they make is, well, the Founding Fathers would have never wanted anybody to own like a howitzer or a uh, Apache attack helicopter or a nuclear warhead. What would you say to people, you know, that try to make the Second Amendment exclude things that weren't for your own personal use? Or, you know, I think everybody can agree individual ownership of nuclear warheads is out of the question. But, you know, for everything else, for the artillery and for the the aircraft type stuff, do you think that the founders would have put any type of restriction on there? Or do, or do you think that when they said, you know, shall not be infringed, that was just a blanket overstatement of it shall not be infringed? I mean, I think they said what they meant, it should not be infringed upon. And uh, back in those times, the general population, they did have superior weaponry as compared to the the uh, the army or the uh, standing military so you you got to translate their intent in our times so it's not going to be feasible for someone to own a, a uh, let's just say a, a tank or flamethrowers or uh, an apache attack helicopter or a nuclear warhead that's just out of the question i don't see that happening um so i think that's just a a straw man built up by these people who want to tear down the second amendment right and i agree with you on that however with the new technology coming out uh tesla came out with a, a handheld flamethrower it could only shoot 10 feet it wasn't made of napalm but yet it was still a flamethrower do you think that weapons that people can afford because there are some people out there that can afford tanks and howitzers and the ordinance to go with them. Do you think that should be their right, you know, or do you think that a lot of these people that say, "Oh, we're just going to absorb it into the National Guard armory and call that, you know, letting the civilians and the citizens of that state, you know, be able to own those weapons and skirt the whole argument about the shall not be infringed with that." Because you can make an argument for Small arms, rifles, pistols, shotguns, etc., etc., you know, to stay in the hands of gun owners. But a lot of people, especially in the millennial type generation, when they argue that stuff, they always refer to the, the more of the explosive ordinance, which is m more expensive and a lot of people can't get their hands on it. But if they had the money, do you think that they should? Well, I think given the times that we live in that if somebody had the means to acquire uh, let's just say a flamethrower uh, I think that yeah they ought to be able to, to get the flamethrower but then again with uh, with the ability to to have you know these rights comes responsibility so you know, I think that there's nothing wrong with uh, with having something like that, but reasonable and responsible ownership would be a, a necessity, whether it's a AK-47, whether it's a uh, single-action revolver, uh, whether it's a shotgun or a semi-automatic rifle or a full automatic rifle. You have to have responsibility. And uh, most law-abiding citizens do. In fact, if you look over in the United Kingdom and see what's going over there, 
you'll see where people are using knives to attack other people. Uh, what are they going to do? Outlaw knives? Uh, the, the same uh, lawlessness would pick up a stick or a rock or a baseball bat. So, you know, you have to have responsibility. You have to have law enforcement. And, uh, you know, the right to bear arms is a, it's a privilege. Uh, it's a right, and it can be taken away from you if it's misused. So, you know, there has to be responsibility in the population. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. So a lot of constitutionalists argue that the Constitution, without the Bill of Rights, was a document that was not signed by all the Founding Fathers because there was no Bill of Rights. When they added the Bill of Rights, it wasn't to guarantee the citizens those rights. It was to guarantee the government and put limits on the government from infringing upon those rights. And a lot of times now, you know, people go look back at the Constitution, the Articles of Confederation, the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights, and they go, you know, well, they didn't exactly know what they were getting into, but at the same time, you know, you have to have some leeway so people do lose their rights. Even though it's specified in the original documents of this country that the government was not to infringe upon those rights. For example, Amendment 10 very specifically says the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, not prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. But the federal government has encroached upon that Tenth Amendment and has taken power after power after power from the states without the states very willingly giving it to them. Oh, do, I disagree. You, really? Yeah, I believe the states have willingly given up a lot of their rights to get federal funding and federal aid. Well, well, uh, let me ask you this real quick. Right after the Civil War, when Reconstruction was going on, the federal government stripped, and even before the Civil War was fought, the federal government stripped certain rights from certain states under the guise of, oh, you know, it's breaking the law that, again, is not in the Constitution, and stripped the rights away from them. Reconstruction, they, to they totally demoralized Southern rights. They did not give them the right to vote on their congressmen, the right to vote whether or not those rights could be stripped from them. So do you think that the federal government as a whole has done that a lot, or do you think that they have put measures in place to try to to get the legality to be able to strip those rights, regardless of what the population wants? Well, they've taken those rights. In fact, the American Civil War, that name is, a mis is, a mis is really misleading. America never had a civil war. It was a revolution. Civil war implies one side is trying to thwart and take over the government of the other side. That was not the case. The southern states, they had a legal right, and legally they did withdraw to see from the Union. The North, namely um, Abraham Lincoln, sent troops uh, into the southern states to attack and force them to re remain in the Union. The, the Confederacy set up their own government. They were not trying to take over the federal government. In fact, uh, so a quick question real quick. Since they weren't trying to take over the federal government, wouldn't revolution be a wrong word to classify that as too? Because doesn't the word revolution literally mean to try to revolt against the bigger government? They were, and they wanted their own, their own nation, their own government, and that's what they had set up, much the same. That's what the uh, the colonists did, and uh, 
and they revolted and they had a revolution against the king and uh, of England and they set up their own form of government and that's what the South was doing. Uh, they voluntarily joined the Union and they voluntarily were leaving the Union. But nonetheless, that war was fought. It was lost. The Southern states came back into the Union. Uh, as a result of that, they did lose a lot of power. The central government did grow and uh, it's been growing ever since. Uh, if you look up the word state, uh, in the beginning of our of the United States of America, each colony was an independent sovereign state. In fact, the Treaty of Paris, when the King of England signed that, he was acknowledging the sovereignty of the 13 independent states. And the 13 independent states, they came together in a confederation uh, like you had uh, succinctly uh, communicated just a few minutes ago, and they voluntarily, in the Constitution, gave up certain rights, and all those not expressly expressed in the Constitution, they, those rights were reserved for the state. Now, the state, you know, they were nation states. The 13 came together to form a union, but they were 13 individual nation states and that's where the term state comes from but however today the vast majority majority of americans they don't see that they think that the state is some kind of a subset of the federal government just like at counties within a state is a is a subset of of that state but people don't see the fact that the states really uh with an autonomous governing body that voluntarily relinquished some of its uh, sovereignty, some of its rights to the, uh, the overall union set up in the central or federal government. But over time, their rights have, have eroded and the central government has taken more and more and more control and power. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. Well, one thing I want to point out is you referred to when King George signed the Treaty of Paris, that they were all free and independent states. And I'd like to read uh, Article 1 um, of the Treaty of Paris. It says, quote, His Britannic Majesty acknowledges that said United States, New Hampshire, Massachusetts Bay, Rhode Island, and Providence Plantations, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, to be free, sovereign, and independent states. That he treats... With them as such, and for himself, his heirs and successors, relinquishes all claim to the government property and territorial rights of the same in every part thereof. So, I mean, it says it right there. You're right about that. And then, like you said, they came together and formed an Articles of Confederation to give up a few certain rights to be able to have a small centralized government. And then the Civil War totally changed the outlook of everything versus state sovereignty and the independence of these states. Um, after the Civil War, you had a bit of a quiet period as far as the federal government encroaching on everyday Americans and passing policies that limited their rights. It really picked back up under the Wilson administration with really the income tax. And then from there, it kind of spiraled out of control with FDR and then so on and so on, all the way until Reagan, where you really had um, a really popular president that was a Republican that created the ATF background checks, limiting on firearms. He's passed um, 
certain laws limiting to how free your freedom of speech could be. How do you think that Americans reacted to the, you know, the first income tax as far as do you think they really thought, hey, this is really infringing on us? Or do you think they were just kind of like, well, you know, it's not good, but we have to pay it and we're just going to move on? Well, you refer to the Articles of Confederation, which didn't really work out too well. Really? Yeah, they, they formed the, the U.S. Constitution and, and things rocked along. And you, you, you mentioned Wilson. Uh, in that in that time frame, not only did they uh, institute the federal income tax uh, with the with the amendment and uh, made it law, but they tried that at an earlier time. I think it might have been during the uh, war between the states, and it utterly failed. And so they had to make it uh, a federal law in order to to take money and, and you know you, you start going down a slippery slope. Uh, also, during that time frame, and I'd have to look it up, I can't recall top of mind what the amendment was, but I, we've always had a republic form of government, and that was altered in the beginning of the 20th century. I can't recall what amendment. might have been around the year 1913. I'm not sure, but you can look it up, and your audience can too. But they took away uh, each state from electing its uh, General Assembly to have the General Assembly elect its senators. And they made it a, uh, a popular type vote. It, it used to be that you know, your state legislatures, they chose the senators, then the senators went to Washington. Um, that, was, that was altered uh, in that amendment to where now uh, that's that's no longer the case, and that really changed the representative form of government that we that we had. So things have changed. Our form of government is not really what it used to be. It and it's uh, in these days and times, you're hearing people calling for the demolition of the electoral college, which would be a travesty if that were to occur. But uh, I think the government continues to grab more in more power, uh, limiting that of the the, uh, the state governments and ultimately that of the citizenry of the states that make up the union. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. But let me ask you this real quick. Um, I'll let you go. I don't want to keep you for a long time. But you have the uh, the Bill of Rights, and with that Bill of Rights, you also have certain amendments and articles that really ensure a limited government. And do you think that those are now considered absolute or do you think that they're just considered conditional, you know, as 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 every single one? Because, you know, of course everybody can say, oh with freedom of speech, you know, you can't do this or you can't do this, but what about the other ones? Do you think those are absolute or do you think there's limits on them well they're trying to make limits on them for example freedom of speech you know we have that i think they've taken that way too far because the country's moved away from from being a god-fearing country to one which uh, calls upon god whenever they decide to but you can tell by the way the uh the country has gone it's no longer a god-fearing country and i say that in the sense of 
your freedom of speech, you may not yell fire in a crowded theater. That would be against the law because it's inciting panic and so forth. Right. But people now take freedom of speech to put, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to use vulgarity and vanity. Uh, well, I mean, excuse me, vulgarity in, in public settings, settings around families and restaurants. Um, they put obscene bumper stickers on the car. I mean, they're taking it really uh, too far. They're, they're trying to fit it to where how they want to fit it. Well, that's what they're doing, and it's ex acceptable and allowable, unfortunately. There's a lot of uh, uncouth people out there that like to speak and say things that they really ought not to in public and in uh, in private settings that they they uh, they blanket with the freedom of speech. And that's a whole other topic for a whole other time. Right. Well, let me ask you this real quick on the freedom of speech, and then we'll move on to the rest of it as just a whole. But when they passed the Patriot Act after 9-11, I believe it was 2002, uh, maybe late 2001, 2002 when they passed it. Um, but with that Patriot Act, they if you said trigger words such as patriot, militia, uh, if you were talking about rebellion or just trigger words, they'd be picked up with technology. They'd be able to go get a FISA warrant and listen into all your conversations without restriction. Do you think that that's more of a technical workaround of the First Amendment? Or do you think that, you know, and not only the First Amendment, but you've also got, you know, quite a few other ones in there also. But do you think that was, you know, a violation of that to where you were, there's really no such thing as freedom of speech? You know, then you've got also um, Amendment Number 4, you know, as far as due process and stuff, which the Patriot Act doesn't give you. But do you think it's a violation of multiple amendments, including the First Amendment? Or do you think, you know, it's kind of a workaround on the first one? I don't think it's a violation of your First Amendment, but I think it's a violation of your privacy that the federal government, government can, uh, based on a quote-unquote red flag or trigger word, can come in and, and monitor your phone conversations and any kind of communications you might have. I, you know, I disagree with that. I think that's wrong. Yeah. Now, j just to go over just some of the ways the federal government has limited the Bill of Rights. Article One, especially in colleges now, you have what they call free speech zones, to where you, where you're in class, you can no longer say what you want to say, and if the teacher tells you to stop, you have to stop. You, there's no longer any type of political discussion unless the teacher is so inclined. You also have gun control and red flag laws both infringing on your Second Amendment rights. So far, the Third uh, Amendment has not been infringed on as of yet, but that's only because the Third Amendment is about soldiers quartered in your houses. And since we haven't had a war in this country since the 1860s, um, that one really has been brought up, but Article uh, Article 4 uh, has been infringed with the Patriot Act. Article 5 uh, has to do with red flag laws. Basically, you can no, you no longer have the right to remain silent because they can flag you and you lose rights at that point. Article 6, they've got with the indefinite detention, there's no more speedy trials. Uh, Article 7, civil asset forfeiture, there's no you no longer have power, you no longer have private property. Uh, Article 8 is enhanced interrogation, violates that. Granted, foreigners and terrorists do not 
adhere to the Constitution, nor should they be subject under it. However, even American citizens have been brought to light, have been enhancedly interrogated nicely, or tortured for a blunt word. Article 9 is judicial activism, meaning that you know courts really are no longer fair and just because you have judges that lean right or left. And I'm calling out both sides here. There's no... If they're biased, they're biased. And then Article 10, you have a strong, very, very strong centralized government that really interferes with the 10th Amendment. Do you see any way that we're ever going to come back from it? Or are we just on a roller coaster and we just got to see what's over the next hill? Well, I hope we can recover from it. Uh, the way things are going, I, I highly doubt it. You see a lot of... Uh, you see a lot of things going on in our country today that you would have never dreamed of years ago. I mean, we've got uh, socialists, out-and-out socialists running for the president of the presidency of the United States, unabashedly, unabashedly so. Uh, all the other Democratic candidates seem to be tripping over themselves to catch up with him. That's all what we can give away and what we, we can take or what they can give away and what they can take from the American population. And and because of the education system that we have in America, uh, thanks in part to the NEA that was created, unfortunately, under the Reagan administration, uh, education has been taken away from the states, it's been centralized, and uh, now our school children are really no longer learning the history of our nation along with civics. Uh, they're learning a, a, distor a distorted history of the United States, but not the true history. They're not learning civics, and it's just uh, it's a travesty. And I, I can only hope one day it will change. But, you know, the old adage is, give me your children, and then uh, they'll, they'll educate them. The old saying is, give your children to Caesar, and don't be surprised when they come back to you acting like good little Romans. And that's what we have going on. Uh, uh, that's exactly right. Socialism is running rampant. The uh, younger generation, they're accepting this. The college age generation, they're accepting this. And uh, if something's not done, then one day we too will uh, cross a threshold that I don't think we can ever or will ever recover from uh, for a very, very long time if we ever do. All right, well, let me ask you this one more question. Um, and this will end the, end the podcast with this one. But according to the Declaration of Independence, when they, you know, when they were leaving Britain, Thomas Jefferson wrote in there that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, which means preventing and encroaching on their rights that were endowed by their creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to seem most likely to the effect of their safety and happiness. Now he goes on to warn, because you don't want to take this lightly, Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. With this, even though the Declaration of Independence isn't the law of the land, it's not legal, do you think that in that day and time, if the Founding Fathers, who were back then, who were 
on fire for liberty and freedom. If they were in this form of government now, do you think that this form of government, first of all, is more tyrannical than that of the King of England? And then second, do you think that this form of government would be altered if it was up to the Founding Fathers? Uh, yes, I do. I think if the Founders were here today, knowing what uh, they gave us and bequeathed to us, and they saw what we had done with it, they would be shocked. Uh, they would be ashamed of, of how we handled the, the liberties that were bestowed to us, and they would just uh, they'd be shaking their heads saying, what have you done? Uh, yeah, I do believe that you know, the monarch of England uh, was less tyrannical than what we've done to ourselves. And uh, it's really a shame, and I'm hoping that maybe we can uh, right a lot of these wrongs that we have uh, that we have done as a nation unto ourselves and the damage that we've inflicted upon our Constitution and our civil liberties. All right. Well, I think that'll just wrap us up uh for this episode of the podcast again uh thank you so much for being on uh we really appreciate it no i know listeners will i'll probably get a couple dms you know making comments about how great the guest was so i'd like to thank you for that um and again i'd like to leave everybody with a reminder that you know the constitution comes first more than any form of government um your individual liberties guaranteed by the Constitution, that the government should not be encroaching on, come first. And just a reminder that our Founding Fathers did not take what they did lightly. It, they didn't change and they didn't rise up and go to war over just some light tax that didn't mean anything. Um, most of the men that signed the Declaration of Independence were hunted down, killed, bankrupted, or persecuted. Um... The, the last line of the Declaration of Independence really says it all. With a firm reliance on the provident or the, on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They did that for liberty, they did that for themselves, they did that for their family, and they did that for future generations. Take care, we'll see you next week.